There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. In 2018, the Marvel Cinematic Universe turns 10 years old. Avengers Infinity War draws near. And in an attempt to make sense out of all that's happened up to this point, we find two intrepid individuals. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate and mild-mannered comic book and podcast enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson, morning radio announcer in Sullivan County, upstate New York, with an inordinate amount of catching up to do in his own comic book universe. Alone, they stand apart. Duh. But together, they are The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Eddie Wilson. It's episode three. Episode three, and it's the third movie of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the first sequel. Iron Man 2. Before we get into all that good stuff, first off, we want to say how you can get a hold of us on social media. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash themarvelists. You can find us on Twitter at themarvelists, myself at Peter Melnick. And myself at ewilson959. You can also find us on Instagram at themarvelists. And finally, drop us an email at themarvelists at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and all the little questions and comments and all those good little things. You know, maybe maybe send us some money. We don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, I don't know. Re- a stretch. Okay. Stretch. Kind of like Mr. Fantastic, but exactly. not really. Call me Reed. But yeah, we are going into our third episode. And, you know, I got to tell you, it's really interesting being able to re-experience a lot of these movies and kind of have a change of opinion for some of these. Because, to be honest, before we get into everything... Better than I had expected, you know? Uh, was your quick mini-review at the beginning of this podcast? Yeah, just a little, but we will get into that in the end. But Well, we got third episode, Iron Man 2. It's a three, it's a two. It's a, you know, it's definitely more insight into seeing it again and, and gleaning more information and maybe some actual knowledge from having viewed it a second time. Put up a nice picture, I hope you like it, with the, the Iron Man accoutrement uh, in, to complement the review that is to commence of Iron Man 2. So, but before we get into that review, Eddie, mm. first off, we got to talk about some big news that just happened today with Marvel Studios. They just got their Oscar nomination revealed this week for Best Visual Effects. And guess what got nominated? Logan. Nope, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Logan did get nominated, but for the wrong category, the other category. <laughs> no, it got nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, which is really cool to see for them to do that. Like that, you know, they were heavily campaigning over the past few months, Logan for the Oscars, like every single category they went for. It's nice to see they actually got it, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It could be making a new inroads and breaking ground here. New ground. I would absolutely agree with you on that. There's a lot of a lot of people that were going on, myself included, that thought Wolver- or Logan 
was a great film. And, you know, it does deserve the respect that, you know, a nomination gets. So fingers crossed it actually goes through the finish line and yeah. gets that Oscar. Right, right. Or at least it's incentive for another production of another MCU movie. Or, yeah, Marvel movie in general. And it's yeah. the thing is going on that with Marvel Studios, on the other hand, they ended up getting nominated for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 for Best Visual Effects. That is cool. That is very cool. I'm really happy to hear that, although I think... Fingers crossed it does get that as well because it's going up against some heavy competition, including Star Wars The Last Jedi. I don't so, know if you get much heavier than that, so yeah. It's kind of, uh, since it's Disney, it's Disney going up against itself, you know? So Dis- <laughs> Disney kind of has a, I believe, two out of five chance that they could win. And there's nothing wrong with that, so uh, it's it's good stuff, and uh, we'll see where it takes us. It's very fun to, you know, see it happening, unfolding, and whatever the outcome is, we'll we'll deal with it. I mean, when I watched it back, you know, last year, Guardians 2 was definitely a visual spectacle to see. I saw it in 3D, so, Mm, you know, Very much so then, yeah. I experienced, you know, all the different effects that the film had, and yeah, it was fantastic. And I feel if something has to win, it should be that, because they, again, they went all out in that movie. I just, I cannot get over how crazy it was to look at. I think you got a a pretty good onslaught sort of... Of visual effects from the beginning yes, of the movie because it was an opening, an opening uh, fight sequence. That Mr. Blue Sky scene with Groot dancing while they fight that yeah. monster. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, that was literally the first thing I actually thought of yeah, when, exactly. you know, I saw the nomination. Like, there's a reason this is happening. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, again, just I would say Disney is doing this heavily over the past few years. Like, they're trying to utilize bringing, you know, actors back from the dead. They're bringing back actors how they used to look. And they're slowly perfecting this. Like, we saw Kurt Russell look like Kurt Russell from the 1980s, you know. Yes, yes. Good old Jack Burton era, you know. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm surprised at how well they're doing this. My Kurt Russell first experience was, wasn't it another Disney movie, The Strongest Man in the World? Probably. I think so. I'm thinking 1975 thereabouts for that. Later in the comic book vein, Sky High. Yes. That movie, yep. Mm-hmm. We actually posted a meme on the Marvelists uh, Twitter page where Disney likes to take the phrase or the expression, you either die, you either die a hero or live, see, see yourself live long enough to become the villain. They're doing that with Batman becoming the vulture. They're doing that with the Human Torch from Fantastic Four 2015 turning into Eric Killmonger. And finally, okay. the character from Sky High, who I've never seen the movie, so I don't know the character's name, but turns into Ego. Oh, boy. Okay. So, yeah, they're literally taking that expression. That may have to be another review, watch and review, because we do own that on, on DVD, the Sky High movie also. Really? Yeah. I've wanted yeah. to see Sky High for a while, to be honest, and any excuse to be able to you know see some Kurt Russell, yeah, you got okay, to yeah. take that opportunity. But, Very yeah, good. with that, it means other Marvel films are getting snubbed, and that means you know Spider-Man Homecoming and Thor Ragnarok got the snubs. I'm kind of surprised that Ragnarok got denied, you know, for best visual effects, because that as well was gorgeous to look at. Yes, it was. And I don't know if there's a cutoff time-wise. It wasn't out as long, uh, what the criteria is for Well, Star that, Wars, you know. Star Wars came out December 14th, I want to say, and Ragnarok Previews, came out the month right. before. Yes, November 3rd, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's more they wanted, if they had to nominate one thing, they're going to go with, honestly... 
maybe the one that made less, but also still had, you know, more of an appeal. Well, there you go. That's exactly what you just answered your question. Like the other movies getting snubbed, but if they had to nominate one thing, well, that's what they chose. So they weren't maybe not snubbed per se, but just you know, passed over. They had to choose what they thought would be the best one to go up against Jedi and whatever else is, is up this year. I think it'd be fantastic, though, again, if uh, Guardians 2 wins. Just because. (laughs) Right, yes. And it would be great to see because DC has their Oscar-winning movie, Suicide Squad. Oh, my. It won for Best Makeup last year. Best Makeup. Holy cow. It's an Oscar-winning movie. See how much I'm paying attention to that? It's an Oscar-winning movie. Hey, a win's a win, right? Legit. Absolutely. And yeah, now going away from that and going over into the other Marvel movie that is coming out this year... Infinity War. Yes. So the directors Joe Russo and Anthony Russo were both on a recent podcast talking about, you know, the film. Mm -hmm. And one of the things people asked was, will Captain America be doing the character of Nomad? And Eddie explained to the audience who Nomad is. Nomad is Cap. After he has lost faith in his country or his government and abandons, at least in costume part, that that part of what and who he represents. So he essentially, by being a nomad, by being a wanderer, no allegiance to any particular party or country, and in a more visual way, takes on this this character. Now, when we get to Infinity War, we're seeing already in the trailer that he's also changed his physical appearance in the form of, I think, a beard or a goatee. Yeah, he's got the There's full beard. Part of that going on, yeah. Mm-hmm. But starting with what was a Captain America, I think number one eighty is where Nomad comes to the fore and eventually will have uh, its own title. Yeah, but they not multiple as, titles. But not as... There, is a, there was a Nomad character that came out in the comic book run, you know, a couple dozen issues or so in the, I believe, early 90s. The guy with the long blonde hair and the sunglasses and everything. Just, like, really cool, you know? Yeah, was it blonde? I thought it was darker, but that's okay. I think it was blonde. Because I remember I have one of the Nomad issues because Deadpool appears in it, so... Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to look look at that run because, like, the entrance, the opening says, an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Absolutely. And Nomad is one of them, yes. I feel it's perfect that they would do that nod to that, you know, part of Cap's history. You know, yeah. they, they yeah. really have to. And, you know, we see all these little things, like... If if Cap survives the Infinity War, because, again, a lot of people are wondering, are these characters going to survive? For example, Robert Downey Jr. recently, when production on Avengers 4 ended, which this might mean that Iron Man is going to survive Avengers 3, but he might not survive Avengers 4 because he went on and gave like a little plaque saying, thank you for everything, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And some people are saying, could it be that he's leaving, you know, or could this be, you know, commemorating 10 years of his time with Marvel so far? And I say so far because I want it to be so far. I want more, you know. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think the actor and the character should should continue. If, yeah. if, if one or both know what's what's good and if things have been going well, then why not keep it going? I don't think there's a stereotype involved here or anything. What other elements of the Captain America character would you want to see you know, utilized in future Captain America movies, even storylines, stuff like that. Well, on a storyline level, maybe try to develop the relationship with Sharon because there was a significant storyline in there in the comics. So why not try to bring that, flesh that out some more? I I would definitely like to see that. And then, you know, there's also that one Captain America story. It was cast away in Dimension Z, you know, where he goes off into another universe. This was like, I want to say 23, 13 or 2014. So relatively recent. Okay. Yeah. And it was, you know, him and uh, Arnim Zola. And like he essentially takes him 
And Cap ages about 20 years in this, right? I believe 20 years. He's in this alternate universe for like 20 years. And in yeah. our timeline, he's only gone for a split second. Wow. Okay. So he disappears and like, you know, Sharon like turns around and looks at him. and He's got like this long beard and everything. And like, what happened to you? I, oh my God, I never thought I'd see you again. I haven't seen you in years. What do you mean years? So it's that kind of storyline. But yeah. imagine, you know, how that would affect the character of Captain America, especially Chris Evans' Captain America. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, that's a whole nother dimension that I need, will eventually get up to in that of course, reminds me of Old Man Logan with him aging, his healing factor gone, and now, subsequently, Old Man Rogers, the super serum is now out of his system. And it's back in now. And back in now, right, yeah. So a serious twist and turn of events if that And Hydra that Cap. Way. And yeah, I was holding back on that part, the Hydra Cap, yeah, yeah. Which, if we're being honest, is actually a pretty decent storyline. I actually, I recently read the entirety of Secret Empire, and it does end a bit anticlimactic, but it's comics. What do you expect, you well, know, after a while? To, to originally have it happen where, you know, he's a Hydra agent is most totally uproarious and, you know, in, in a very negative, what a, what a backlash of reaction that came, which is probably what, you know, the editors wanted. And they, oh, yeah. they got it with, with a lot of force behind it, you know. I'd be interested in seeing a version of that on the big screen. Mm. They could do something. They could, they could do that, yes. Yes. Because we've established Hydra and who they are and what they represented for 70 years, how they've been with the SSA throughout the 1940s and forward from that time. So, sure, definitely possible. And, you know, also going on with this, it was revealed recently, you know, with Chris Hemsworth talking, he actually went on saying that this is technically Avengers 4 he just wrapped up. Mm. That's technically his last film with Marvel. Okay, yeah. So the way he talked about it, it might be indicating, you know, we might see a Thor 4 if he gets his contract renewed and if his character didn't die in the movie. Right. <laughs> because, again, it's really weird to be able to say if the character survives because we don't know. And, you know, the Russo brothers themselves, they decided, you know, we don't, we're too tired to do this. They didn't shoot fake scenes. Like, they didn't do any of that stuff, you know, to, like, put it in a trailer and mislead the fans. They're just like, no, no, we're kind of, we want to finish this thing. But you can't blame them. That's that's a technique that I'm not sure if that's it's good or not, is to mislead the viewers by putting something in a trailer that doesn't actually happen in a movie. Well, I mean, one of my biggest examples was Captain America Civil War. Mm -hmm. If you notice, they used multiple takes of like different line reads. And I always found it interesting. For example, that one line of when Captain America is talking to Tony and Tony goes, I want to just punch that, you know, f perfect teeth of yours. Yeah. And he says it all bitter and angry. The take they use in the movie, I just want to rip that or punch that stupid face of yours. It's that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very, it's smart and it makes the audience go, oh, so there wasn't supposed to be that scene. It makes sense to use those multiple takes. Yeah, because if you're not conveying the, the emotion the director wants, you, you'd redo it and so on. But I think the emotion was conveyed in that remark and how it establishes or continues to be almost a palpable friction between the two main main characters like that, yeah. And finally, the last big bit of Marvel news that recently happened with Marvel Studios, the show The Inhumans, which, Eddie, you've seen, I believe, the entirety of the show? Yeah, I did. They revealed that the show will not be returning for a second season. Yeah, I think it was known... <laughs> A while, but they finally made it official, apparently, is what happened. Now, the, uh, it, it, it was okay. 
Um, yeah. Was anything wasn't anything over the top? You you kind of got a sense, and you got the characters established. What I guess maybe they were going for at the beginning was how Medusa's hair got shaved off right from the start. There's her power. It's gone. Now what with her? And she has resources with intellect or some physicality to perpetuate her character through and see her family and home world relatively safe and protected and everything that followed from that. But it was a shocker to have her with her, her hair that did all her abilities for her kind of thing gone. So, you know, okay. I could see them not returning with it because maybe it just didn't get a strong, well, obviously didn't get a strong reaction from the, from the fan base. Yeah, a lot of uh, fans complained primarily about the showrunner, Scott Buck, who actually is the one responsible for Iron Fist as well. And oh. as you've seen the negative response on the internet about that show, it makes sense. Yeah, and they and they also, at the beginning of The Inhumans, knocked off, supposedly, uh, the Triton character, which they brought back towards the end of the run, but minimal use of the character then. So... You needed to establish that he was a part of the, in- the Inhumans, but I guess he wasn't going to be written into the plot line, so, but they didn't want to kill him off completely, so they, they had him come back in, and that was the extent so a little, eh, I don't know how they treated that character the, in the greatest of, of fashion. It's really interesting how the fandoms of these things, though, are so vocal and so oh, yeah. passionate about how they feel with these things. You know, for example, with Iron Fist. Iron Fist, which I still haven't seen, I'm almost done with Daredevil Season 2, so I will be getting to that hopefully very soon but you know you hear fans complain about you know shows like iron fist with the character danny rand the immortal iron fist protector of kunlun slayer of the dragon shao lao the undying son of wendell rand majority shareholder of the rand corporation survivor of plane crash client of jerry hargarth partner of colleen wing friend of luke cage hero for hire avoider of sensible footwear and sworn enemy of the hand (laughs) by the way credit for that goes to zen gray jedi on reddit just because anyway just because. And also, Thor- you might know Iron Fist is the other name, though. The Thundering Dumbass. I do not. Shout out for all the fans of the Defenders out there. Oh, anyway. Wow. Okay. Poor Danny Rand. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of bummed out seeing that Inhumans didn't go a second season because, honestly, maybe, you know, that was the freshman problems with it of all, you know? When you get into the second season, things get moving. Because if you look at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was an okay show. Season 5 right now is considered the best-rated season, even surpassing the Netflix series. Wow, I I didn't know that. Okay. So, you know, you just have to get past that freshman hump. Otherwise, once that happens, you're out of the gate, boom, you're ready. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I want to see them succeed with the shows because the shows are kind of the dark horse when you really think about it. Because do a lot of people really talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Inhumans, not really. Yeah, maybe uh, the with Netflix Agents stuff. of S.H.I.E.L.D. when it first came out, yeah, it was there was a buzz and so on, water cooler talk and whatnot. Now, maybe not so much. The, late, the most recent thing I had heard is that with the new season starting, which I have not started to watch yet, it's in space. Yeah. So there's that component to, to add to that and, and differentiate it and so on. There's a couple of things that I wasn't too thrilled about what they did with one or two characters, but that's for another time, I think. But even the one that I started finally watching is The Gifted, which if you you know you sit and pay attention to it, you're here uh, references to other characters, other names, and so on, and you're seeing one character or another exhibiting a certain power, and you go, wait a minute, isn't that who such and such is? Like Sunspot, I'm going to say for one example. 
as a mutant. So from there, you know, and and this will, I think, also lead into, what is it, the New Mutants yeah, coming out and being a horrific kind of a, not in a bad horrific, but a scary horrific way. Now, one thing I want to ask you, The Gifted is being produced by Marvel Studios, Mm -hmm. which is different than, you know, the other things. Like, it's got more of a hand, you know, with Kevin Feige, for example. Like, he can help out if he wants. My question to you is this. Since this is not canon right now with the MCU, you know, like with Captain America, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., etc., etc., is it written in a way where one little thing can happen just like that and they can make it canon? Could they do something like that, like where it's revealed like this whole time— that's been held in the same universe as Guardians, Ant-Man, Iron Man. Possibly, if they connect it correctly, put that link together. Yeah, okay. I don't know that they have per se yet, but I think in connectivity sense, in that in that way, when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. first came out, there were references to the Marvel movies, and I don't believe you needed to have seen both in certain sequence to connect the storyline. In Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., okay, if you didn't see the movies, all right, so it made a reference to something that happened in the first Thor movie, for example, I think with reference to Or Dark, Dark World. Or Dark World, right, that, you know, the movies, if you just saw the movies in, in order, so be it, fine, not a problem, you're not going to be lost, scratching your head somewhere, it's not going to be like a comic book panel, as revealed last issue, or if you picked up that title... You know the story now, but back to what was already in progress. Yeah. I mean, I think overall, you know, I'd like, like, I actually want to give The Gifted a watch real soon because I've heard nothing but great things about that. Same with Legion. I watched, I think, the first two episodes of Legion and just never got to finish it, but fantastic stuff from what I saw. Okay, because Legion, to me, was confusing. Oh, yeah. And I, I didn't get too much out of out of that. Another X-Men storyline sorely needing to be caught up to, uh, which I would imagine may have done better in the comic book. That's my thought on on that. And just kind of hard to keep track of the different flashing backs or whether things were being thought internally instead of actually happening with the main character, things of that nature that, um, you know, that that was just the one season, I believe, correct, Legion? Legion is coming back for a second season. It's coming back. Okay, so we'll see how they perpetuate and, and continue that. So... Yeah, and, and The Gifted, though, which just recently, I think, wrapped up, had its finale. Season finale, yeah. Season finale. Well, uh, I think that unfolded to about 10 episodes. I believe so. Yeah, so I just got one down and the rest to go. Hey, so. I believe in you. <laughs> so now, Eddie, the big discussion at hand. We are entering the second, and Eddie's actually doing a little drumroll on top of an Iron Man helmet. Well, little. Iron Man 2 from 2010. This was the third entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, Eddie, first off, what were your memories when this movie was coming out? The first thing I thought of was Iron Man 2 already? What happened? I thought there was another character to develop and go along. You know, you got you got Iron Man established, you got Hulk. But Iron Man 2 again? Wait a minute, where's the others that are supposed to be part of the Avengers? So that caught me off guard right away. But I have to backstep and take a bit of a tangent a bit of a significant tangent in watching this DVD, not being technologically up to date and not having a Blu-ray player, having bought the just regular plain DVD when it was released, never having been able to find the time to watch this and others up until, well, this one, of course, just within a few days ago, and putting it in the player that does work with DVDs. But this DVD, video, yes, audio, absent, 
That's fun. The other components of the DVD, the setup, the main menu, fine, no problem, everything's good. Play the movie, no audio. Wow. So if other DVDs were working, what do you do? Well, it's kind of late now. they got to try and find another good quality <laughs> store-bought copy. And going through three Best Buys, ordered it online for a pickup at another Best Buy. <sighs> Label on the DVD, that served as a receipt, brought it home. That was the next night, and the same exact thing happened. Video, yes. Audio, no. So you're the man with two Iron Man 2s. But I brought one back. Aww. For a refund. You could you could have had that. You credit know, back. You could have put that on like you know a business card. I went then. to my place of employment and put it on the computer there and was able to successfully watch it. That is fantastic. So you watched it at work? I did. Ah. On my day off. Well, hey. So there's my tangent to get into just being able to watch this this thing. And you told me you were actually watching it around the same time I was on Sunday on morning. On Sunday mid to late morning. Yeah, exactly now. So that being said, it's time to get a Blu-ray player, I believe. I believe it is. And hopefully we'll connect to one of these other other televisions. But now, Eddie... But we'll get we'll get to that. First off, this movie was directed just like the first one by John Favreau, and Favreau's intent for this series was actually he wanted to make a trilogy. I'm reading this off of Wikipedia, by the way. Okay. But basically what he was saying was he wanted the sto- this trilogy to rely mainly on the evolution of Ironmonger Obadiah Stane. Oh, wow. Okay. And it would be, you know, his evolution into this. It was going to be like, you know, kind of like a Star Wars kind of thing, you know? Yeah, no, did not know. But thank you for the enlightenment. That's and, uh, that's interesting. So actually, maybe if he went on that path, it would have been Iron Man 2, then another Marvel character, then Iron Man 3 right away. I, no, I don't know. Now, during development of the film, by the way, you know, Favreau was going on about how he wanted this film to capture discussion of Tony being an alcoholic, which is essentially demon in a bottle but he decided he didn't want it to be demon in a bottle no because that could take on its own its own life but to touch on the fact that yes tony had a drinking problem was a good a very good move i think to really flesh out the character as as i knew when i heard robert downey jr was first being cast and knowing the type of personality of course that tony stark in the comic book had and knowing some of the stuff that robert downey jr went through i said this is a match this is definitely a match and they, when they did this, they did Demon in a Bottle, but they didn't, which is a, a smart thing to do because it does build up to the eventuality of it happening. Although I'm watching this movie, and I got to tell you, it made me feel this was Demon in a Bottle. It's just with a different name, you know? Yes, it's going to be as close as you can get to that, and I think it was done really well. Same here. Like, I definitely feel we got that level of he has that moment of clarity. He actually, in my opinion, he had during the fight with roadie in war machine yeah maybe towards the end he had the clarity i'm not sure uh, having f- concluded the fight and i don't know maybe sort of kind of sobered up come to his senses whatever the case might be and one of the interesting things was during the filming of this movie during that time in august of 2009 the big mouse disney actually bought out marvel so one of the big you know things that would later change i would say the course of how everything was going to go from that point forward, happened. Coincidence or fact, or it just happened, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's, you know, it's really surprising that, you know, when this movie was being written, when the beginning of production was going on, no one expected that this would be part of the Disney catalog one day. No, no, I don't know if anybody could have had, well, maybe somebody could have had that foresight, the, the ones with the, uh, you know, the deep, sort of the deep pockets. 
Oh, yeah. Or the deeply filled pockets. And, you know, while this movie was being made, they were actually working on little things that made it a little bit more interesting than, honestly, I've ever seen a Marvel movie before. And that was, for example, the soundtrack. You know, during production, they decided, you know what, we're going to make this a movie heavily involved with ACDC. And when we watched the movie, we watched this knowing full well what happened. But when the movie was about to come out, everyone was going on saying, ACDC is doing the soundtrack, which if you listen to the soundtrack, it's just a bunch of ACDC songs. If you, you know, track it down. Correct. If you have that, well, we have that in front of us right here. Actually, yes, it's we do. virtually every song is an ACDC cut. And that goes from Roman numeral one to Roman numeral XV, which would be 15. Yes. And yeah, it's from mostly previously released ACDC material, maybe one or two different, uh, one or two instrumentals, one of them being War Machine. And the thing about that that I found really funny, though, was, again, during the time leading up to the movie, everyone's hyping it up. Oh, my God, ACDC's doing the soundtrack. First off, back of my mind, why didn't they get Sabbath to do the soundtrack then? Because imagine some of those songs. Well, the first obvious one at the end of Iron Man number one, yeah, Iron Man, I am Iron Man. Now, when the movie actually happened, how many ACDC songs were featured in the film? I'm going with, I don't know, two? Yeah. Yeah. It was Shoot to Thrill and Highway to Hell. Shoot to Thrill in the uh, beginning sequence when Tony Stark comes back at at the opening of the expo. Yeah. I love that line. Oh, it's good to be back. I say that every time I uh, come back from a vacation from the radio. Do you? Yeah. And Iron Man 2 is the reason why? Oh, yeah. That's cool. I'll have to incorporate that. that sound bit in there. Working on it. It's a work in progress, but it's fun. Awesome. And and the other song, Highway to Hell, towards the end when they're being awarded their, their medals of honor. And the thing is that I find really funny about it all is, again, they made such a big deal. We're going to have ACDC. We're going to use two songs. Come on. Well, that's what guys. it came down to. Who knows how many made it uh, or how many were being considered but just didn't make it to fit what they were, you know, the time restraints and so on. But now, you know, we have this film and... Let's talk about one of the biggest things about the movie. This is... The budget. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Although it was pretty big. But the thing about it that was very interesting was Don Cheadle comes in and plays the role of Rhodey. Okay, that's significantly big, correct? Yes, exactly. I would, I would definitely say so. Because you're changing up your character and not to say who's going to notice, but... It was it was pretty damn noticeable. noticeable. Absolutely. Like, wait, what happened? Wait a minute, Rhodey, that's not... Yeah. Wait a minute. If you're Rhodey and he's not Rhodey, then who am I? When that happened, I got to tell you, I definitely miss the original actor, but Cheadle grew on me after a while. Like once, once I want to say his second appearance in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, then I was on board. Okay. So after this, yeah, this was your break in kind of thing. I believe he was in Avengers 1, question mark. Well, we'll get to that when that episode happens. But yeah, I don't know. It's just... He definitely, it was some growing into the role for him, which I appreciated. Like, he had, you know, he had to earn his stripes as a character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I feel he did a good job. He was uh, strong in this, especially when he was going toe-to-toe, like rock'em, sock'em robots in one scene, at least, in Iron Man 2, up against Tony Tony's Iron Man in, the, in their fight sequence. I gotta tell you, I was really partial to the incorporation of... Daft Punk's Robot Rock in the middle of all of that, that was absolutely perfect. Oh, is that what that was? Okay. Dirt, 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 yes, dirt. Yes. That's right. That's right. The uh, the DJ sequence, I think, right? Yes. Okay. DJ AM, I believe his name was. DJ AM on the, yeah, on his laptop or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. 
we have all these different characters being thrown in here, thrust into the foray. We have characters like Gwyneth Paltrow, and we see more development of her character in this film. And I got to say, oh, in a big way, it's in it's an escalation because she becomes the CEO of the company. Oh, absolutely, and she definitely plays even more so off of you know Tony Robert Downey Jr. to a massive success. Yes. Yes. No, she takes the job very seriously to the point of being completely stressed out and, and paranoid, perhaps in a, in a sense to the, to the, you know, to the extent of not being able to want to be able to, to be able to, to want to put up with Tony shenanigans. And even when he's trying to come across as being serious, there's no room for it. She knows how bad he, he is and his lifestyle. She has the most insight into Tony's character and knows, though, this is this is business. This is real. This, this has to get done. So her character definitely comes from being sort of a side, not a sidekick, but a sideline character and an assistant to, to really stepping up to the plate. And then eventually relinquishing or giving going going back to having, having Tony come back in in his return to sobriety or really coming full circle and knowing his uh, his purpose his function and i think that's where of course the the model of the expo comes in and the films that he watches of of his father howard as well i think overall also you know seeing more of tony's personal story with the incorporation of his father was such a great idea no no question yep absolutely and you know i also liked how they made the film look you know of the the shots of tony's dad because it looked like it reminded me of like those film clips of you know Walt Disney and Walt Disney Studios talking you know you know to what the audience. that's right that is exactly right he, his character now that you mention it in the way he was dressed in the suit and the thin tie and the white shirt the background the, the the coloring in the background yeah pretty much spot on and let's be honest when people record things like myself and you there are moments where moments like hello my name is Howard Stark and this is my ass. Things like that do happen during uh, alternate oh, yeah. takes. So I, I kind of liked that level of uh, he wasn't just a businessman. He wasn't just a serious person. He was this. He was human. Yeah. He was normal like the rest of us. He just happened to have the ingenuity and the, and the uh, financial background backing to go with it. Yeah. And so he could do what he could do. And then saying on film camera that he was limited by the technology of his time and that one day Tony, his son, would figure this out. And change the world. You have these characters, and a good hero has to be flanked by great bad guys. True. How do you feel about the two characters in the film, Justin Hammer and Whiplash, portrayed by Sam Rockwell and Mickey Rourke? Which the average viewer of a movie that maybe doesn't have a comic book background would go, who's Whiplash? Oh, was that that thing he was flying around? You know. One of those things where the name never came out as identifying Vanko, but and such a departure from from the comic book character in what was it, purple and gray? And I he think had, he had that weird with that I weird headpiece, yes, with, with a tail on it, kind of thing. But you know, electrified whips, but not of an arc reactor technology. So taking liberties with the with the actual origin original character and turning it into this but making it more palatable to a a wider audience so that they could relate to something that was already built upon and even have a conflict in the fact that at the beginning when the government wanted to come in and take the iron man technology and armor to which anthony stark of course adamantly refused and saying 
20 years from now will be any other country's possession or knowledge of this technology. And now here comes Venko with this already as having an arc reactor in his chest, in the armor's chest, actually, and in these whip-type devices that were pretty awesome. Going well, slicing a car in half and so on, yeah. Well, let me ask you, because the way I see this with the film, I see this in other films with character redesigns of how they look with Whiplash. Do you feel Whiplash is an example? Like, I'm going to go with this when we get to the film with him, but Falcon in the comics is, in my opinion, one of the worst designed characters of all time. The comic or the movie version, the movie version of Falcon, I feel, on the other hand, is leaps and bounds better. Just he has like the goofy thing on his face, making it look like he's got a beak. Compare that to the movie where it's this is really what this kind of character would look like in this real world. I personally feel Whiplash is so much better in the movies than in the comics because just that cool industrial feel to the character while still, you know, having form and functionality. Well, both Whiplash and Falcon are teched up. Yeah, and that's what that's what is attractive to audiences, especially now, now uh, present time. So to do that was a smart move, and I think just worked well in both cases. Yeah, it helps you. Falcon I... in the comic books, he's athletic, acrobatic, good in a fight, hand to hand fight, agility, and a sidekick bird. Yeah, well, who he has in the comics or in the movies now, he can still. Yes, technically, Red Wing. He can still have been shot, and you know, and that was another thing to give Falcon the movie character pistol knowledge, use, and and just being able to put up a gunfight as well as that kind of thing. So that was part of the tech to bring him up to modern times, and so on. But I, I think it was a good translation into into that to have it work in a movie type setting. I also feel it helps you identify that these characters, like a Falcon, like Whiplash, they're human, but they, in order to be on par with a Captain America or a Doctor Doom, which we're going to go with a completely different cinematic universe, I'm using air quotes right now, Mm. but this is how they can combat those characters, how they can get on their level. Yeah. And, you know, honestly... I loved the usage of Mickey Rourke in this. I'm a big Mickey Rourke fan. You know, I think he's a phenomenal actor. If you want to see a really great movie, look into Angel Heart with him and Robert De Niro. Fantastic stuff. Huh, okay. All right. But anyway, I digress. I feel, though, the movie, I felt bad for him because he eventually left the Marvel Cinematic Universe after this role. He never did another movie. And it's kind of an example of yet another character who was a one and done, which is a shame, but... Cause it's going to happen, isn't it? It's inevitability. Many variables. I mean, they basically yeah. kill the character off, but, you know. But the thing is this. It was perfect because in Iron Man 1, we got a real-life person who had a history of problems get a redemption by playing a hero. In Iron Man 2, we have a real-life person who has a problem, you know, overcoming all the odds now in his life. He's, you know, he's getting past those problems. He has a, he had his redemption in 2007 with Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler, and he went on to do Iron Man 2, but he got the role of a villain. Yep, he did. So it was kind of interesting to see that, but I feel, you know, he played off of him so well, and it was... I loved the idea of this person who has a little bit of a connection to Tony Stark, but not really being there as, you know the person in the shadows watching him and you see 
him watching the Iron Man press conference in the beginning of the film, you know, on a Russian t- uh, television station right, with translations. In the, right, it's on sort of in the background for the son, but the father's watching it saying, ah, that should have been his son, and that's how you get the opening put together. It's the motivation. And he's been, uh, he's been sickly for some time living in the state of affairs that they're, that they're in, and you find out later why things are that way. Because he was sort of up to no good when it was he was working with, with Howard Stark, right, and was exiled essentially to Siberia for however many years. But meanwhile, passing on the the, the knowledge, them both being scientists by nature, so you know he's able to at least in the story in the in the movie pick up and continue along with the blueprints and and develop an arc reactor of his own in this, and then and then come up with. Let's try to extend them on a, on a, you know, however many feet long tentacle kind of thing and come up with a weapon. I feel, again, when you have this character, he's just the outsider looking in and it's so cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And when he has that big meetup with Tony during the race. In Monaco. Mm-hmm. Personally, I was partial to, again, I'm sorry, this is real life and I love how some of these characters will interact and it's the use of humor. They do it for the humor. But be honest. If you have a villain in front of you and the opportunity to run him over, and he, you push him against the wall, and then he, you, know, you move your car a little, he wakes up, oh, God, boom, push right again into the person. <laughs> That's real life. It, it kind of reminded me of like, you know, someone trying to kill a bug, the hornet, you know, you kill a hornet. You hit him, and he's still moving. Oh, God, oh, God. Do it again. It's that. Do it again. It's that. Yes, it is, and the same. And at the same time, while that's happening, it's it's the the suitcase for the Iron Man armor that can't make it out of, out of the car from Pepper to Tony, so he can get into it. Give me the case. The door slams. Give me the case. Yeah. And yeah, it's again just that's what would happen in the real world if something like that existed. Get you know, something like that. Right. All right. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have that character of Venko, and then on the flip side, because. In a lot of these movies, you have to sometimes have more than one villain to get the story going. Sure, sure. And so we have that with Sam Rockwell's character of Justin Hammer. Eddie, what did you think of Justin Hammer? He was there for um, uh, you know several reasons, and one was somewhat comic, but there was also a, a dramatic and a serious threat that he posed with his knowledge of weaponry and and him being in the role that he was. Uh, I was going to lean towards a kind of, kind of Hydra-ish, but that you know unfolds. Elsewhere, but his character was, I think, very well done. Just very slimy and underhanded. Yeah, yeah, creepy. And you know, you have the inter- like earlier. He's getting interviewed by the woman for Vanity Fair, I believe. Yes. And you know, again, he's trying to give this impression that he's something that he's not. That's what it is. And it's oh yeah, oh I'm you know I'm this big uh, industrial weapons tech guy. Blah blah blah. You do know you suck, right? It's it's that. Yeah. And that's the one thing, you know, about Golden Globe winner Sam Rockwell. He has those acting chops to be able to make a slimy kind of character, which, if we're being honest, that's why he's known as a great character actor, you know? Well, that reminded me, too, of when he, you know, you didn't know he was bad until later in the first what, Charlie's Angels movie. Yeah. I've never seen Charlie's Angels, but, like, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. He, he, was, he was a bad guy trying to kill Charlie. And, and it almost succeeded. It's crazy, though, seeing seeing a character like, you know, a Justin Hammer and how 
yeah, you have whiplash, but he poses just as important of a threat, if not more. Mm-hmm. You know, it's true. And the way they were able to um, put them together, the villains, to work against Tony, and I think partially Hammer did not realize what he was, what Venko was doing with, with the armor, just not only by making them operable remotely without putting a human into the suits, but what he was going to, you know, subsequently do. Not only have them fly remotely, but also have them rigged to uh, self-destruct. Right. Come towards the end of, of Iron Man 2, yeah. Now, with the look of the film, would you say it was a bit more of the look of Iron Man 1 again, or was it trying to do something different? I think it was trying to keep the thread going of the first one, so it didn't seem like anything jumped out. I was like, wait, why, why is that so much... Uh, of a departure from the first Iron Man movie. So I think it maintained a a continuity. When I was watching the film, it definitely reminded me more of Iron Man 1 in terms of the pacing for the most part. Mm -hmm. I just feel, you know, there are elements of that film where it didn't succeed with that. But I would say overall it had a good pace to it. Maybe, though, towards the end it did. I would say by the end of Act 2, it's the three-act movie, by the end of, like, maybe midway through Act 2, it kind of fell off a cliff for me where it just was still going. You know what I mean? Well, the fall of Cliff Park, to me, comes in Iron Man 3 when the Malibu house gets destroyed. <laughs> but there's continuity and footage of the Malibu house. Oh, literal, and, Eddie. And, and uh, that's what I do. I'm a word-meaning alternate bender, etc. <laughs> but continuing along, you know, continuity that is with, with the house, with the reporter from Vanity Fair, same character, female, and uh, in other respects continuing developing like Pepper's character and maybe a little more of um, Happy and where we get introduced to Agent Romanoff. That's what I was literally just thinking about. Okay. Because this is what I like about the Marvel Cinematic Universe compared to other film universes. This is the thing I like about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's very subtle with how they introduce these characters. They don't do hey, we're going to have everyone show up at once Mm-mm. and then also have everyone's graphic design uh, logo teams involved. You know, we'll have it in a random thing. You can't introduce that many characters at the same time if people, audiences have not seen them yet because it would be too much to ingest at once. I would say Marvel does it like a Trojan horse because in Iron Man 1, we're introduced to Iron Man. End of the film, very subtly and very quickly, Nick Fury. Incredible Hulk. Then we end up introducing that world to that. Now we do Iron Man 2. And in this, we end up getting Iron Man with a bit more of an introduction to Nick Fury, but also a subtle introduction of Agent Romanoff, who I would say for the casual movie-going fan, the big reveal of... Oh, she's supposed to be somebody. What did she just do to him? Holy crap. In the the, uh, fight, in the boxing scene with Happy, yes. It was perfect. Because the comic book fans, when you hear, oh, my name is Natasha Romanoff, you just hear that, oh my God, you guys, look, Black Widow, but wear your little face mask. Face mask? Yeah, she had a face mask before, remember? No. She did? Sorry. In the 1960s, anyway. In the 60s, Mm -hmm. okay, okay. To go back to my issues of Daredevil when she was on the front cover also. True, true. But yeah, That was know, 70s, I think, though. Yeah, okay, early. But yeah, you're introducing her in in such a way, and it's great because when you see this, you see this character absolutely destroying Happy, it makes you want to go, 
I want to know more about this character. Oh, oh, nope, nope. Marvel goes, nope, we're going to take that away from you a little bit. We're going to leave you wanting more. We well, want... Tony said it right there to Pepper. I want one. Exactly. No. <laughs> and it was smart the way they did it because we're, we are going to use multiple films to lay out the arc of this character rather than be like, well, Barry Allen ended up getting hit by lightning. Now he can run real fast. Great job, guys. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the utilization of Black Widow in this. Makes you wanting more. We need that, well, you know, in films. This is it. You know, it also ties into part of the development of what her character does, and that would be going incognito undercover, and you know, whether it's a double agent spy or you know, the way Tony was flipping out, saying, "You're you're amazing. You, you I don't know what you are. You know, are you is this real or whatever." And then what she says to him in Latin, that, uh, you know, you can either leave on your own or I can have you collected. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel this movie did a better job also of explaining who Nick Fury is even during the scene in the donut shop. Like, we in got the donut shop, except for when he, yeah, right, when he comes in and says, sir, I'm going to have to ask you to exit the donut. Yeah. It was perfect. You know, just the development of that character. And I would say you got more personality than you might have out of the other two movies because in Iron Man 1, his only appearance at that point... It's just one, two, three, and he's done. Yeah, exactly. This is more fleshing out the character, sitting in the donut shop, explaining that you, Tony Stark, are not the center of my universe, and I got other problems going on in the Southwest. There's a hint to something else that's going on, which you see at the end post credit scene with Coulson out in the desert. And, and we'll the, get to that at the very end. And the big crater. But yeah, I think what we're going to be seeing, though, is a bit more of a deconstruction of the Nick Fury character when Captain Marvel comes out next year. Oh, I'm calling okay. it now. Yes, you are. You just went ahead, yeah. Because I feel what we're getting now, we know who Nick Fury is, but we don't know who Nick Fury is. Yeah, we only know as much as we've been allowed to know. I mean, you I want to lift that other eye patch up, you know, and get the whole picture. Yeah, no, he did it himself. That's when he burned it, though, at the, end, right of, uh, at the end of a... Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier, thank you. But yeah, I think... I would say overall with Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2 is a very controversial film because a lot of fans, while it's a good movie, they tend to rank it low. Yeah, I think they did. If I remember when they when it had come out and compared it to the first one and maybe even later when the third one came out, they just went you know, up to a certain level with the first and then down to for the second and it kind of came back for the third. But, but it does good pacing... To an extent. And it does a good job introducing characters in subtle ways. And with characters, with the post credit scene, we do it in such a subtle way that, once again, you see what happens and you're like, oh, crap. Are you serious? Yeah. That's happening? And you get excited. Yep. And what was the scene at the end, Eddie? At the very end, out in the desert. Coulson has to go out and he finds and contacts, he's talking to Fury, that... Thor's hammer is in the center of this crater. And if you don't know what its actual name is, it's Meow Meow. In one variation. Yeah. Yes. And what's the actual name, Eddie? Mjolnir. There we go. And I love the usage of that. And I feel, you know, we're hearing, this is the first also, I believe, reference to the Avengers initiative. We're getting more and more world building as the series progresses. Yes. Yes. Without each movie saying, I'm putting together a team, necessarily. And it's smart. You don't want to put all the eggs in one basket. You want to one at a time at a time and just flesh it out, flesh these personalities out, flesh the motives out, mm -hmm. flesh everything out, make it right. And 
we get that mishmash of a dynamic of these films. And that's what I like about it. You know, you have like the contrasting personalities. You have the stoic Captain America. You have the sleazy, underhanded, but still has a golden heart Ant-Man. Yep. You have Captain America. You have Iron Man, who is suave, debonair, and all this stuff, but also has a dark side to him. No you know? question. Yeah. And there's so many others. And with these films, it's that level of complexities of each character. They're their each own individual thing. And we see all these different puzzle pieces move into each spot. And it's perfect. Like Tetris. Yes. <laughs> because we need that little T-shape to go next to the no. little S. I go, I go with the little S's and I, I do my little uh, setup that way. I actually played uh, Tetris a few weeks ago at Barcade, and got to tell you, I am still good at that game. You rock it, man. Heck yeah, I you do. own I, it. I block it. I never even, I, had, you know. Come on, that was a good one, Eddie. You missed that completely. I did. Yeah. I block it, because it's blocks. You block it. Okay. You, you block see, it, you rock it. Mm-hmm. Rock it, sock it. Mm-hmm. Pop it and lock it. Anyway. Okay. So now, overall, with this movie, Eddie... I liked it. I liked it more than the initial viewing I ever had. I liked it more than my second viewing. And I like it now more in my third or fourth, I believe. Hmm. Now, this was an example of a movie that, you know, was a part of a trend in the Marvel Universe where the sequel is not as good as the original. That is want to happen, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at, you know, other movie universes, like a certain empire that struck back. You know, that was better than the original one. Yeah. Yeah, correct. But this was a trend that, you know, went on and continued until 2014 with Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which, you know, was a sequel that surpassed the original or, you know, wasn't on par. You know what I mean? Like Winter Soldier was on par, if not better than the original. I would pretty much agree. Yeah. And Iron Man 2 unfortunately started that mini trend of the sequel not being as good as the original. And again, as I said earlier, I just felt like by the end of the second act, it fell off a cliff for me, much like Tony's Malibu Beach House. But it it is definitely passable in my book. And I rank it so we have our, we can start now ranking these things much easier. I rank it in at number two right now for me out of the three films we've seen, Iron Man 1 being number one, Iron Man 2 being number two, and The Incredible Hulk being number three. I could go along with that. I would I would uh, say, okay, sure. And out of a five possible ranking on Iron Man 2, I think I'm going to go four. Yeah. I mean, there was one, I'm trying to think of one possible flaw, if you want to call it that. But maybe you don't have to explain. It's just a matter of you're introduced to a different style type of Iron Man armor where instead of it's the crimson and the gold combination now it's crimson and silver kind of thing and the different way he's developed it so now it comes out of a suitcase he can step right into it and it comes up all around and encases him which is different than the beginning of Iron Man 2 because if I'm not mistaken he lands on the stage and out come the yellow mechanical arms that deconstruct him out of it, and he's in his expensive suit. And again, uh, it's good to be back. And that's what also Vanko, Whiplash's character, says when he's in a suit of armor, 
good to be back. And now for myself, if I had to rank this movie, I would have to go with a solid three out of five. Three out of five Excelsiors. Three out of five Excelsiors. And like I said, ranking it in at number two, it is, like I said, better than my, you know, first time I ever saw it. First time I saw it, I actually hated this movie. <laughs> and I don't know. It's just, it It definitely has a bit of pacing issues towards the uh, latter half of the film. Well, I'm going to say part of the, uh, the points off for having a lower ranking would be, you know, whatever, you don't have to pinpoint it didn't live up to an expectation of the first one and the roads the roadie character being a different actor points off for that so yeah that definitely factors into it but bring in scarlett johansson's character there's a plus for sure development of pepper potts's character two bad guy villains that's all going for it in in its favor and further development of what will lead to the uh, first avengers movie now one of the things also about the character of Justin Hammer. This was not Justin Hammer's only time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we actually had a question posed to us by Tom Bennis of Odd Shape Panel. Should Sam Rockwell return in future MCU films? They keep name dropping Hammer Tech and it makes him mad. So they do reference Hammer and he comes back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe short film Hail to the King that came out in partnership with Iron Man 3. This was like the direct sequel to it. And the thing about it was he's in jail and all this stuff is happening to him and that's what happens. You know, he's interacting with Ben Kingsley's Mandarin character and we might actually cover that short. We might be covering the shorts as well probably, in all that's, honesty. That's Alright, well that would be one I need to watch. because I, I was unaware, I'm sorry of that. He is in there and would I want to see him back? Uh, maybe. Maybe have him be like involved in an Iron Man sequel or have him involved with like, you know, a one, two, three cameo. I just don't think maybe he could at work. that. I don't know where else you can go with this character at the moment. Yeah. It's very hard. It's you very know, hard to figure something out for him. We we've been exposed to what type of character he is and what he does. And he paid for what he did done. Move on. There's other characters for damn sure to introduce. Oh yeah. Once again, like I said, three out of five yourself again, four, four, now, next week, we've got a special one coming up. Thor, the God of Thunder from 2011. Thor. Hammer time. Damn The right. other hammer. Exactly. And <laughs> I think that one's going to be an interesting one because I've only seen that movie once. Never, like I was never really much of a Thor fan, although reading the comics, I definitely became more of a fan of the character. The movies, the first two, eh, I liked the first one more than the second one. So we're going to see what happens with this. But I feel I'm still going to I'm going to like this one because I loved the uh the human characters compared to you know the god okay. of thunder, Odinson. Yeah, yeah. I think this a uh, couple of moments that definitely uh it soars, it excels. Thor soars. Thor soars, baby. Yep. Thanks thanks to Meow Meow. The other, yes, that hammer, Justin Hammer, MC Hammer. You pick one you like. And before we actually end this episode, we actually should bring up one character that was in the film that we didn't bring up. And that was Gary Shandling's character of the random senator that hates Tony Stark. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. The late Gary Shandling. And I got to tell you, his portrayal in this film was one of the standout performances for me. Not just as a Gary Shandling fan through the show, uh, the Larry Sanders show, but just such a great character that 
really grated on you. And it was, you know, just a funny character. He worked so well. And one other character that we see in more than one film. He's back in... Um, Winter Soldier, Winter I believe. Soldier, yes. And, yeah, he's like, again, the line he says to Tony at the end... Uh, don't you just hate a little prick sometimes? Or something like that. Just basically insinuating that Tony Stark is a prick. Funny how some yeah, funny how a little prick can be such a pain. Exactly. Yeah. So now before we wrap this episode up, how can people get a hold of us on social media? Well, you can find us on the Facebook at Facebook.com slash the Marvelists. You can find myself on the Twitter at Peter Melnick, yourself. At E Wilson959. And combined, we are the Marvelists on Twitter at the Marvelists. You can also find us on Instagram at The Marvelists. And also drop us a line, send us an email, tell us what you think about the show, whether you love it. Don't send if you hate it, because that'd be that would that would break our hearts. Harsh our buzz. It would it would it would mellow our yellow. I don't even know what I'm but saying. But not anymore. a ref- it's not an unrefreshing beverage. It is a delicious beverage. Mm-hmm. Mellow yellow. Anyway. And a can- good Donovan song too. <laughs> Thank you, Eddie. <laughs> it's your musical reference for the day. I try. We both try. We're both pretty good at that. Lord help us, we do try. <laughs> but anyway, you can drop us an email, themarvelists at gmail.com. And also, when you're on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe. And also, when you're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff, share our show. Invite your friends to like the Facebook page, because we'd like to get more likes on there. Help build this universe. Make this universe a part of your universe, people. Am I right, Eddie? You are correct, sir. Are you my Ed McMahon now? Sometimes. You never know. hi <laughs> So. That being said. Next week's episode, like we said earlier, is going to be Thor from 2011. So, for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. Tony Stark makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. And Iron Man all jets a place. He's like and slide with recovery rain. A basin armor. So that was a good episode. Iron Man 2. Man. Episode 3 of The Marvelous. In the can. Yeah, it was pretty good, man. I liked it, you know. Off to a good start, you know. As we, you know, pack up our equipment, you know, totally not talking into microphones, pretending, you know. But we are. But we're, well, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. But man, you know what I would have liked to have talked about on this show today? Something else that we missed. Yeah. Man, I can't believe, you know, that one scene in, in Iron Man 2, you know. The kid, the kid with the Iron Man mask. Yeah, you heard about him, right? No, I didn't. He beat up a guy. No, he is. He uh, he went up against a drone, a hammer drone. And like years later, it was revealed like the amount of time between that movie and Civil War. Yeah, turns out that's the amount of time a certain character ended up aging into a teenager, a high school teenager with acne. Midtown. Yeah, he he's like a he's a. Real whiz. Turns out, you know, Kevin Feige and uh, Tom Holland confirmed that that kid, the kid with the Iron Man mask, that goes, stop. That kid, Peter Parker. Peter Parker. And it's confirmed. It's like 100% canon. And we don't know otherwise. He's got a mask on. Yeah. We'll have to take it as is. That's like one of the smartest things that they could do. It's like all the little seeds 
you know, planted throughout the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. They're I starting love to germinate. I, I like it. In, an, in a non-invasion of the body snatchers kind of way. Exactly. Man, I really hope that, you know, the people that are still listening to this podcast right now go on Facebook and like our page at facebook.com slash The Marvelist and, you know, maybe give us a follow on Twitter at The Marvelist or at Peter Melnick or... At EWilson959. It's our first post-credit podcast. And here's a Stan Lee cameo. Excelsior, true believers. Well, see you next week.